Hello and welcome to VentureCast. This is David Hornick from August Capital. And this is Howard Hartenbaum, also from August Capital. And I hope that you listened to our last VentureCast, <laughs> where we had a major technical failure, uh, which we only realized. So, by the way, what you don't know is that was the second one that we had this major technical failure. Because two podcasts ago, we recorded the whole thing, we then finished up, then we looked down and saw that it wasn't recording and said, oh my god, I can't believe it, we should have switched the batteries. And then it but turned I do recall before that one started, I said, did we switch the batteries? And you said, ah, oh, they're good enough. That's I said, like, what could have happened? We only used them on one VentureCast, which goes to show, have you, if you've ever done any professional production or whatever, and they have these wireless microphones, at every break they switch the batteries. They don't care if it looks full, whatever. They're like, oh, nope, switch the batteries. Batteries are cheap. Your time is not cheap. And that was a perfect example because we had, you know, like an hour of brilliance, and it was just wasted. And then the second podcast, we were so frustrated, we did it again, and everything seemed to be going great, and right near the very end, you looked down, and I remember the expletives that you yelled. <laughs> it was unbelievable to me, because we did switch the batteries, so now I'm certain that it's actually an equipment failure, not just a battery failure, right? Because that doesn't make any sense. And what did you do to fix this? Oh, there was a gap near the end. And what did Craig do? <laughs> he just put in some filler, filler, filler uh, elevator music. Music, and then we had our finale. So, so then, so in reaction to that, I said, "All right, we got to fix this." I went on. Uh, these are from Massdrop. I went on Massdrop. I bought two great new microphones, and I was all set. Gonna use them, plug them into a laptop. But I forgot a laptop. Then I was searching around our office, and the like backup laptops have some kind of password that I don't know what it is. So that didn't work. And then our semi-defective recording equipment seems to have disappeared. Yeah, we were gonna go back to the defective version. But I don't know where it went, and Howard speculates that I threw it in the trash, which is certainly possible. So, in order to save money, you took your phone out of your pocket and you turned on voice memo, and today we're on iPhone voice memo. And the thing that I think is most ridiculous is, I th it probably sounds about as good as when we were using a high-quality microphone into a digital voice recorder, so... Anyway, we'll see. We'll see what you think of this. We're, we're only one source, so... Craig can't uh, fix it. Craig Severson is the master of uh, making us attempting to make us sound reasonable. Only Howard's voice always sounds reasonable, so he's really just trying to fix my voice. Yeah, screw you, Howard. You after know. after that, and, and I watched the video Craig sent us. Craig Craig owned a condo or co-op condo in New York City, and a year or so ago, the construction workers broke a. Uh, water pipe for the fire suppression system on like the fifth floor of the building yeah, oh, and yeah. literally destroyed the entire building every floor yeah. <laughs> it did it was like uh, it was like a waterfall came down into the entire building ending in craig's apartment which was the first floor in the basement destroying and, and the he showed the video and he had these buckets filled with water and bathtub like everything water everywhere and he said then the fire department came in and said you better get out fast before the ceiling collapses so he did and the ceiling collapsed that's that's good fire manning. water damage yeah <laughs> anyway howard and i just were looking at a water damage startup the thing that's fun about the venture business is you never know what you're going to look at right so today it was a very scientific meeting about some medical stuff then we had a water damage thing and then we had a pitch about 
uh, acquiring homes, real estate business, and they were all interesting. They were all they they were each one was really good entrepreneurs for different reasons. Different, you know, some were young, some were older, PhDs, no PhDs, male, female, um, but all really good. Each of those businesses has the capacity, the possibility of being a really big and interesting business. So we're going to fund them all? No, but... Are we going to fund any of them? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, so we did water suppression. But anyway, so it'll be interesting to see how this uh, iPhone business works. I know that this iPhone memo stuff works pretty well because my son Julian, who is a composer, when he's trying to just save ideas or whatever, he just uses these memos and... They they um, capture everything. It's amazing. It it it's a pretty high quality microphone. It'll hopefully I'll have enough memory here. Yeah, we'll so, find out. I guess. <laughs> right, so I want to go back. I want to go back really quickly to the um, it, to the water company. Yes. Because so what this company does is it figures out if you have any leaks on your property at your house or your apartment and whether it's a slow leak or a sudden leak and we all have insurance against water damage and homeowners or renters policies but what you don't realize is that if it's not a sudden burst it's not covered like if you have a slow leak that's leaking into your basement for six or eight months and you get the black mold growing in your basement which Mm. is infinitely expensive hundreds of thousands of dollars to fix um, like your insurance won't cover that and if you were to catch that um, with a water leak system, you could, you know, have a healthier, safer house or whatever. But if you go back 10 years, nobody gave a crap about water. Water was free. It came through the pipes. You'd leave it running. When you brushed your teeth, everybody had pools without covers on them. And now, from a timing perspective, we just had the worst drought ever. And a company was formed out of interest in water conservation because of the drought. And they got into things like insurance-related damage and mold and all sorts of stuff. And it got us talking about how with companies, like, timing can be everything. And it, you know, that company wouldn't have succeeded at all if it started in 10, 10 years ago, nor would it succeed probably if it started in five years. Like, now is the time. Yeah, no, it. even even... If they were to think about a problem today, they wouldn't say, like, oh, let's figure out about how to manage water, right? We don't want to waste water because water is precious right now. I was just actually, I went out to, to dinner with uh, with Oren Jacob, who runs this uh, great company called Pullstring. And Oren was an EIR with us uh, for a bunch of time. And Oren is a big skier. And he said, I said, are you still skiing? What's happening? And he said that they're for sure keeping Squaw Valley open through the 4th of July, and they are going to try and keep it open through to the next season. That is how much base they have. There's still, what, 25 feet of base in May, and that they're going to try and keep it. Meanwhile, it's, it is melting, and as it melts, it's creating... So the Truckee River, which for a while was kind of a river and for a long time has been a drip, drip, dribble is now a rushing river. It's like taking over streets, etc. Apparently, Yosemite is amazing. Remember, we were just there, what, like six months ago, nine months ago? Hmm. And it was there was nothing covering over the falls? They can't, You can't climb the sides now because it is such a torrent of water. It's unbelievable. Hmm. Anyway, we, I digress. Uh, so it is, it I is think a, they said that the snowpack was double the norm. 
Yeah, which is insane. And, and when it's when it's one times the norm, snow makes it through the whole summer. Not not everywhere, but in yeah. some at the higher higher altitudes. So I think I'll go skiing this weekend. Yeah, you totally should. Apparently, it's good and it's supposed to be really great skiing. The, so the other thing is, and this is important, very important uh, lesson about venture funds. So uh, every so often, we as a partnership go on a on a on a trip of some sort, which we call a partner offsite. <coughs> Boondoggle. And we often go skiing, but we've decided, oh, we should do other things to get, you know, in it, look, in defense of this partner offsite thing, we have a lot of downtime where we get to talk about how, about our portfolio and how we can help each other and how we're thinking about the markets and all these things. We pay for it ourselves. Yeah, we pay, we pay out of the operating budget. We go and, so, uh, so we had signed up and put money down on a river rafting trip that we were going to do as our partner offsite in the spring. Oh no! <laughs> we had to we had to push that out. We would die. There's like did the did the company cancel everything? Or? I think we no. We just said we'll do it at another time. So we're gonna we'll so maybe next, next spring. Maybe next spring it won't be so dangerous. But like everything is a level whatever rapid it's like it's madness right now we couldn't we couldn't there's no amount of downstream we could go that would make it safer i would think it would be safer because there's so much water it's covering all the boulders <laughs> yes but it's moving very quickly but it's just moving quickly but what if it slams it's you into smooth something and quickly. i don't think you understand water <laughs> anyway back to a point in time oh yeah right? so right so companies have to get timing right in what they're doing. And if they're too early, they're not going to make it. And if they're too late, they're not going to make it. So timing has to be everything. And I think the example you gave was Airbnb. Well, you and I were talking. So, so you know, my, my favorite analogy for this is the um, is surfing, right? And I'm not a surfer, but I've watched surfing. And, and so if you're too early to a wave, then the wave crashes on your head and you're, and you're doomed. And if you're too late to the wave, all of the power of that wave has already rushed off and taken some other surfer to have this magnificent ride, and you're sitting there barely moving. You go, oh, man. And so you'd, you'd in some ways, you'd rather be late than early. You don't get the thing crashing on your head, but either one is not a good outcome. And so you really have to get the wave, the power of the thing. And so you and I were chatting. We were talking about the fact that in some ways, the timing of Airbnb was perfect because basically when they were getting ready to ramp up, was what two thousand and eight? Yeah, nine, ten. Right. It yeah. was the, the economy was under pressure. Travelers were under pressure. It was this tricky time. People were worried about losing their homes. They couldn't afford hotels. Like everything was wrong. So it, it it's the thing that's amazing about it is that downturn downturn solved both the supply and the demand problem. It's the demand problem where people were like, oh, if I could stay in a room or rent an apartment more cheaply than going to the Holiday Inn or whatever, I will do that because we can't afford to do this with business travel or whatever. And then from a from a supply standpoint, there were all these people who were trying to make ends meet and they could then rent out one of their rooms or they could move into a smaller place and rent out their, their apartment or whatever. And so because it was a challenging time, it increased supply and demand, and more importantly, it allowed people to try it out and say, oh, this thing's actually not crazy. Whereas I think if you did it today, there, there'd be a lot of people who'd be sort of like, no, nah, why would I do that? I'll just stay at the Sheraton, you know? And I don't think people would let their houses be used because they'd be like, no, you're going to wreck my house. <laughs> Forget it. Why would I do that, right? So, it, it, look, Airbnb's amazing, but it is a, it, when you think about it, 
it was really at just the right point in time that it that it managed to make that work. And that and there were some other companies like Couchsurfing, for example, which just didn't quite capture it. And that was a little bit earlier than Airbnb, I think. Yeah, it was. It came in earlier. People were using it. It was sort of a non-profit or it was a free system. And then it got funded by Benchmark and they were going to turn it into a for-profit when they saw what was sort of starting to happen at Airbnb. And Airbnb grabbed all of the momentum of the wave and couch surfing was simultaneously too early and then too late, you know? Yep. That's kind of crazy. I think about Splunk the same way, right? Ultimately, when we invested in Splunk, there was no such thing as big data. There was just a bunch of data. And the Splunk guys didn't think they were creating a search engine for big data. They, they said, wouldn't it be great if you could search log files? You know, I was like, yeah, that'd be amazing. And by the time the company went public, it was, oh, this is a search engine for machine data, and it's the poster child for big data, and it's going to change the way people think about data. And so I think, again, similarly, if you were a little earlier, there was no such thing. If you were later, then you were, you were a follow, you know, following on to an already existing trend. So, I mean, I can give you an example of, uh, of uh, way too early where I invested in a company called Kite, K-Y-T-E, run by Daniel Graff. And this was before the iPhone came out, and they were figuring how to do live streaming video on smartphones before mm-hmm. the iPhone. And basically, the only phone that could handle it was the Nokia N95, which was like a five or $600 phone, which was ridiculously expensive at the time. And our thought was, we had timing right in within a year or two, the phones would be much cheaper. And the company raised money and raised some more money and just it was too early and ended up having to switch into an enterprise business, which ultimately sold off. And then the iPhone came out, and now what do you got? Uh, you know, Twitter does their form of video, and you've yeah, got Snapchat yeah. now, and it all has to do with bandwidth cost and people's connectivity to you know Wi-Fi. Like Kite hit it on the head like seven or eight years too early. Yeah, that no, it's amazing. Me. That stuff's amazing. It, Where's Daniel now? Is he running product at Uber or at Twitter? Or at I think he's at, so he went to Google Maps and then he was at Twitter for a little bit and now he's at Uber. Yeah, I think he's running product at Uber or something. Something something big. So unless he well, left, unless he got in, I, unless he got in the scandal. I, I don't know. We're not saying anything. We just are saying. I think it's possible. It's, there's been attrition. That's all we're saying. We're not. Yeah. So by the way, so I had this big question. So. Uh, one of my kids this summer is going to uh, an art program at UCLA. And it's this two-week program, and it turns out there's no dorms. I don't know why you have a two-week program at a UCLA and you don't have dorms, but, you know, that's how it goes. And so he's going with his buddy, and so the, his parents and, 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 and uh, Pamela and I said, okay, we'll rent an apartment for a couple weeks, and then we'll rent a car, and we'll do this. So we went to Airbnb, we got an apartment a block from UCLA, so that's awesome. Not cheap, by the way. It's not like, oh, well, we'll get this two-bedroom apartment, it'll be like 60 bucks a night. I don't know. 300 a night? It was like 320. No, it came out with taxes and fees and all that stuff to like 320 or something bucks a night, night. which is a lot over two weeks. And then... We went, okay, I'm going to rent a car, and we had this back and forth. Should we rent a car, or should we just use, you know, Lyft while we're in town? Or Uber. Or Uber, but you could use Lyft. They are, by the way, pretty much the same. Uh, And so we had this back and forth, and my wife basically was like, no, that's a crazy idea, whatever. And then it turns out that Beckett's friends 
mom needed to get around and would need to go further distances. Anyway, so we said, all right, we're going to rent a car. So we, you and I, although you, you, Howard, funded this company, Toro, which we, is, we, we collectively funded. did. You're yeah. sitting on the board. And it's a car sharing site. And so it's the same. It's like, you know, it's Airbnb for cars. And so I went on there and I said, all right, I need a car for two weeks. And I was able to find a 2015 Prius with 20,000 miles on it. So a pretty new Prius for 30 bucks a day. 30 bucks it came like so i said all right i'm going to do a gut check here and make sure so i went to hertz and i said what would it you know these two weeks how much would it cost and they had a yaris or something like some really like even smaller even smaller and and it was more than double i said no so some dude named eric is renting me his prius he got very good reviews. People like Eric. You know, they, you'll get reviewed too. Oh, uh oh. You better return and it his, clean. And his car is apparently a lovely car. And so now for these two weeks, we have an apartment. We have a car we're going to drive around. What else? I think, you know. It's summertime now, and I always wanted to drive a Jeep Cherokee. So I rented a Jeep Cherokee. Oh, is that what you're in right now? Yeah, did you see it downstairs? No, you said that you were driving. I just thought like your car had broken down or something. Well, my daughter crashed her car. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So she borrowed my car. And I always wanted to drive a Jeep Cherokee, 37 bucks a day. What, is that like the topless kind, or is that just a big... It has a top, but you can take it off. I just, that's too much trouble. Yeah. Yeah, you could, I mean, uh, actually, I was talking to Andre, who is the CEO of Turo, and I was saying, oh, any strategies for me renting this car? And he's like, well, what are you going to get? I hope you're going to get something fun for the for the kids. And I was like, no, I'm getting something cheap. He was like, oh, you should rent a Tesla, or you should rent a Jeep, or you should rent a Porsche, or whatever. I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm thinking Civic. I mean, I, the most extravagant I was willing to go is like a 3 Series BMW, and even that was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I rented a Prius about a year ago for a week. Yeah. And after two days, I gave it back. Aren't they horrible? I gave it back. I couldn't take it I anymore. I hate the Prius. And not only that, <laughs> I paid the guy for the whole week. I felt so bad. I'm like, you know what? I hate this car. It's just, it's so cheap and slow. And it's stuff. awful. I totally agree with you, even though I rented a Prius. Because it was par- cheap. My parents have a Prius. No, I was thinking I was going to get Civic, but then I was like, oh, it gets good gas mileage, and I'm just... Yeah tooling around you know westwood or wherever the heck i'll be and uh but i hate the prius so much it has like no pickup it feels it drives terribly i'm sorry the prius is horrible (laughs) no offense eric i'm sure your prius is lovely it's no worse than any other prius the problem is it's a prius what is it satish damarash at red point and he tricked out that prius and put on gullwing doors onto a prius no (laughs) I'll pull up a picture for you while we talk, and you'll yeah, see maybe right. that's the Prius. So, if that you're you listening to this, you may want to check out the the Going Doors Prius. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I didn't, I did, <laughs> I didn't do that. Yeah, uh, I'm sitting here. By the way, they I was just sent this ball bearing, and the reason I was sent this ball bearing is that um, I bought one of these spinners. Have you seen these spinners? Oh my God, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. It's a picture of Satish's car. He, it's a Prius that he painted like electric orange, and he put on gullwing doors. On yeah, it. the doors open up. It's got. So you can talk about your spinner now. I have to show wing, it to you. Fat wing tires. You got it. Um, yeah, look. I suspect if you search Satish and and uh, Prius, you'll find it in Google Images. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So I so. Uh, 
I was on Mass Drop. Oh, this is my second Mass Drop reference. Do we have any limits on how many of our portfolio Two. companies we can pitch in any given show? The same company twice. <laughs> so I was on Mass Drop and I had this thing called a spinner. Have you seen these things? They're they're called. Um, I saw an article in like USA Today. They are a big, big hit. Yeah, they're huge. You can buy them on Amazon in every color in the face yeah, of the earth. Yeah, they're everything. And so they're basically they, sealed bearings. They're called fidget spinners, and they're for people like me who are uh, ADD that to play with. Because ordinarily, when we're pit, when I'm being pitched or whatever, I play with my wedding ring. Uh, every so often, I drop it. You should get that one that's got go. a bearing on it. That'd be so good. And zing! <laughs> If it got sharp, sharp, it would cut my finger off. It'd be like a cheese cutter or something. Um, but they just had a—they're launching a brand new one, this triangular fidget spinner that is—that has been co-designed by Mastrop and this other company. And I, so I fear I'm going to have to buy yet another. I borrowed yours for a few minutes. I couldn't get into it. Yeah, it's that like one, the I trick think, like people too have big. to. You know, they spin the pen around on their oh, fingers. Oh, yeah, that. It's yeah. sort of like that. Like, it's not like it's instant. you get got to practice it yeah. for a few minutes. No, it is. And it was annoying. I actually had to give it to my son because it was annoying my wife so much. <laughs> She's like, stop. You are a child. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I had, I had something I wanted to chat about. I, I had a company a few months ago where there was a handful of investors. And we went to do a financing. And all the investors like, oh, we love, our, we love the company. We're in for pro rata. And the CEO went out and got somebody to give him a term sheet and then came back and said to everybody, okay, here's how much your pro rata is. And one of the guys was like, yeah, I changed my mind. First of all, for the sake of the of those listeners who are not aware of the pro rata. So basically how pro rata. It's English, pro rata. Pro rata, your piece. Uh, I'm sure that means something else. Uh, pro rata is when you, buy, when you invest in a company, and let's say you buy 10% of the company, and it comes with what's called pro rata rights. And what that means is that you have the right to buy enough shares in a future financing to maintain your ownership in the company, right? So if... You have 10% of the company and they're going out and raising another $10 million and it's going to dilute the company by 10%. You can buy 10% of that offering to make sure that you still own 10% of the company, right? So so if you raise a bunch of money, oftentimes your pro rata comes out to be a lot of money. So one of the things that's always interesting is, hey, we own 20% of a company. Then they go and raise 50 or $100 million. If you raise $100 million, our pro rata is 20 million bucks. That's a lot of dollars. Uh, and so, but now back to your point. I'm just talking about people who say one thing and do another. Yeah. No, it is. So one of I the, mean, break their word. Well, <laughs> well, you know, you're painting them as a nefar- as nefarious. Is that your suggestion, Howard? That this no, is, nefarious I, in the sense that if you aren't going to do something, don't say you will. I 100% agree with that. because If you're comp- not sure, don't commit. Yeah, then say, oh, we, we hope to. Or I need to speak with my partners. I'd or like to, maybe, but. maybe we'll do it. I, I always find it mystifying, and the, and the and the reason it's so bad is that the company is making plans based on what you tell them, right? I mean, it's one thing. Okay, fine. That, you that's don't have the half money, of it. Right? The other half of it is the new investor can become suddenly very very nervous and saying, "Wait a minute! You said your investor was going to put money in you, and now he's not. Why should I?" No, 100%. Absolutely. Like, oh, what what happened? What does he know? Right. What do they know that I don't know? It's actually a terrible... It's, board members really don't have a lot they need to do. They need to live by the word. <laughs> but they need, to, they need to say what they think. They need to then, it, then live by the things they say. 
I 100% agree with that. And when that's not the case, they need to... And, and here's the other thing. They need to be unendingly supportive of the company, right? It's amazing to me. Don't accuse me like that. <laughs> yeah, stop Wait, being... David is trying to give me a lecture. That was not, a, that was not to you. That was, I once was on a board where we had a brand new CFO, right? And... New CFO, company's doing pretty well, but the number, but it was early in revenue, and so the numbers were kind of up in the air. And the new CFO comes in, gets introduced to the board, and one of the one of my board members, fellow board members, starts you know beating up the new CFO about the numbers, like, what about this? Then how are you going to do that? You know, like just very, and it was very very uh, aggressive. And I'm thinking, how is this helpful? <laughs> Like, I don't know what you're. Tr- what are you trying to achieve, right? What are you trying to achieve in this conversation? Do you just think wants this to complain? Sometimes. But this new guy, it wasn't. He didn't make the numbers. He wasn't in charge. All it was doing was taking someone who just got to the company and making them feel like, gee, this is a mess. Don't do that. That's a bad plan. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I would never do that. <laughs> no, we would never do. Howard and I would never do that. We don't do that at August Capital. All we do is tell you how great you are and how you can be even better. We try. We do try, actually. Yeah. I was just at the Bill.com offsite. Go saying, to your company's offsites. Uh, Rene Lassert likes to have has these offsites where he brings the board. Rene is this entrepreneur. He was the founder of PayCycle, which I funded, and now he's the founder of Bill.com, which I funded. And I was saying to Rene, because he does these offsites where you sort of you know, it's a day and a half. You come in the day before and you have dinner with the team and you get to know everybody and then you spend the next day at the offsite talking about the strategy for the year. And I was saying, you know, Renee, you and I have been working together for 16 years, which means that your offsites have taken about a month and a half of my life. <laughs> and you want that time back? That's a whole lot of offsite. Uh, <laughs> it's a good thing I love Renee and his companies are great because otherwise I'd be like, oh my God, not another offsite. You're I think killing he must me. like you because I don't recall ever being invited to one of my company's offsites. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Do all of your companies have offsites? Uh, we know. Sounds like a venture firm. No, yeah, no. We Where have they go? Kid. Like they go skiing. We did go- fastly. We had a fastly board board offsite where we went skiing with the team, and then we had a board meeting the next day up and up in Tahoe. We almost got snowed in. It was very ugly, uh, but it was great. It was great to hang out and spend time with the team. Let's see who else. Which other ones have offsites? Yeah, I have a few. You should, you should either... I really like those kinds of things. <laughs> no, you have to talk to people and, yeah. you know, you have to... Hey, I want to go back to your comment about board members. What about independent board members? Have you seen any bad behaving or really good behaving independent board members? Or have you seen well, an independent I mean, yeah, board member? Have you ever seen an independent board member? <laughs> I guess, again, this is the period of time when I explain. So, um... You realize, of course, I'm just doing this to make David teach us all. Yeah, exactly. Stuff. Let's talk about board. So, so the, when you go, when we invest in companies, um, there's always a big question, right? This is the big question: is who will have the majority of the votes in a board, right? So, if there are two founders and they're on the board, they'll say, "Great, we, you can have one board seat, and then it'll be our two votes against your one vote, and therefore we control the board." And you'll say, well, no, I don't know about that. That doesn't seem like a great idea. And then, so then you say, well, what if we, what if you have two seats and I have two seats? And then how about that? Now, that's a really bad idea because then you actually could have deadlock. It doesn't make any sense, right? Because then 
if you, everybody's voting against each other, you could just have no answer to a question. And the way you solve that is, is you say, let's put an independent board member on the board. It's not a founder. She's not a venture capitalist or in with you. She's someone independent who, who has, a, has something to add, someone to create value. And that, that person then often is sort of the tiebreaker in the, in the board, right? So we've, you, you and I have done this all the time where we set up boards where we say, okay, fine, here's the board and then we'll, we'll bring in an independent board member and he or she will be, you know, agree, mutually agreeable. Everybody will like that person. So what happens? You can't find that person. Nobody looks for that person. Nobody bothers because, you know, it's like, oh, we get the financing done. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you've had this. Do you still have boards that like that should have independence that haven't been nominated? I have yet? one or two. I bet you I do. I bet you I have multiples. I have. I want to go back and uh, to your comment about two founders and one investor. I had that happen in a company where I I love the founders and have a lot of respect for them, but six months after the financing, they decided to completely pivot the business into something that I was opposed to which made for an uncomfortable situation between me and the founders because I explained to them I had seen competitive pitches, I was sure the business model didn't work, it was, we, I was okay that they wanted to pivot the business as long as it wasn't into that. Yeah. I said we'd be better off <laughs> Let's try if, something else. if what we've got isn't working, we should you know, cut it back, we have plenty of money, you know, we can figure, and, and they wanted to do that, and unfortunately that drove off a cliff. It took about a year and a half or so. But it was very uncomfortable um, and had we had a board that was a proper board, meaning there was no bias towards one side or the other, then I would have felt comfortable with any vote the board had made. Yeah. Because if you're on a board where there is no power position, meaning you have an independent who's a swing vote and everybody respects the independent and you agree on who the independent will be, if you don't like what the independent voted, that's okay. You helped pick that independent yeah. and you made that decision. But it's never comfortable to have a decision made where you didn't really have any say. That's a challenge. One of the best independent board members I ever worked with was a guy. He was only on the reputation board for about two years, a guy named Steve Cakebread, yeah. who had been the CFO of uh, Salesforce and of Pandora. And we put him on the board because we wanted to beef up the financial acumen of the company and help hire a really strong internal CFO. And so we asked a very experienced public company, multi-time CFO to sit on the board. And he was very helpful for the time he was there. He ended up leaving and going to Yext as their full-time CFO, <laughs> and now the company went public, and good for him. Um, but it was really wonderful to have him on the board. Yeah, we've had great, great luck. Actually, it's interesting, uh, Graham Smith, who was a CFO at uh, Salesforce as an independent, uh, was an independent on, um, on the Splunk board, and he's an amazing board member, really thoughtful and and just a you know very good guy. So I, look, in the end, I think that the goal is this is the thing that's that people confuse. They say, <coughs> "Oh, you know, this independent is just to change the vote and the whatever." No, actually, let's get someone who's great who can ha be helpful to the company. That's my goal. My goal is figure out what the company needs. So oftentimes it's like, oh, this is a 
first time CEO, let's find someone who's been a CEO before, give give the founder help with that. Or, or the need, company's weak on sales, so you get a very experienced great sales guy. person. And somebody whatever. who wouldn't take the sales job yet for the company because the company's too small, but they're happy to give partial time and sit on a board. Yeah. No, it's really useful. So I have one company right now that I think is a very good candidate to be a public company next year. And now what you have to do is build the public company board. And the public company board is a little different, right? You need it. It can't just be a bunch of VCs. The public public markets are it like... It shouldn't just be a bunch of VCs. <laughs> no, they're like, oh, man, David Wait, Hornick, you that's it? what you got? Like, how is that helpful? <laughs> so you need to bring in people like Graham who, or, or Cakebread who are these great you know, thoughtful uh, financial leaders. You need to you need to have uh, better experience, a broader set of experiences. It's, it makes sense to have a broader range of uh, of um, of sexes and races and ethnicities. I just think all those things. Frankly, we should have those in our boards well sooner than when the companies go public. But you know. What, what we need in a public company board is what we need in all boards, which is a, a very thoughtful set of people who can give, create value at the board level, right? And there's a sense that the board is not, a, not helpful, right? That the board is this controlling thing. And yet in my most, com- most successful companies, it's always been the case that board members are great. They're like really valuable, helpful, busy, create, you know, trying to make the company successful. And I think if everybody looked at it that way, then you'd be more supportive of bringing in great people onto the board. Yeah, one one measure of a, a young company that has very young founders is every now and then you'll see one where they manage to recruit somebody to the board that you can't believe they were able to recruit. True. Right? Like I was talking to a company recently and he said, yes, and one of my board members is the former CEO of Raytheon. And I'm like, how are you related to him? And he's like, <laughs> I'm not. I'm like, how did you meet him? One of my professors introduced me. And I'm like, I don't know how you got that guy. But that's a good sign for you. Yeah, you're right. The right person. No, I was same yeah. thing. Like when we funded Second Spectrum, uh, this sports, you know, data company, the former CEO of ESPN was going on the board. It was like, well, wow, <laughs> that's amazing. Was like, going? Did he actually did, go? He did. He's oh. a great board member. He's you made it awesome. sound like the past. No, not at all. Actually, the board are the founders. This head of this former head of ESPN, who's an amazing guy, and one of the owners of the Warriors. And me, <laughs> I I think which that makes me the, that makes me the basketball. <laughs> which one of these is not like the other? Yeah, exactly. David, what sport are you an expert in? Well, you know, <laughs> I think, but I think these boards matter. I think that it can. I think that their boards can be productive and they can be destructive. And I think that we work really hard to try and be productive and helpful, not uh, not to take away value. I hope, hopefully, that's what happens. We'll see. You got any more topics? I don't know. That seems that seems like enough. Who knows if this phone even recorded this podcast? We'll find out shortly. Well, all right. Uh, this has been David Hornick via the uh, the voice memos on the iPhone. Wait, how did we record that one in the Uber a long time ago? I think we brought a. I think we brought the whole record. Did we bring the deck? I think we must have brought. The whole I think thing we brought the us. whole thing and we recorded in the back, and that was horrible. It would have been better to do it on an iPhone. It was so noisy, but it was fun. Next time. Next time. Anyway, and this is Howard Hartenbaum, also of August Capital. And this has been VentureCast. So thank you for listening, and let's hope this worked.
It's still recording. 